Hello, and welcome to the Calgary Journal Solutions Podcast. Each episode, we take a tough problem and talk to experts who are solving that problem. Your hosts this week are Gerlene Giselle and Hannah Papke. Thanks for joining us. In this week's episode, we chat to two members of local nonprofit organizations that are striving to reduce the living expenses for Calgarians through their unique pay-what-you-can shops. We are joined by James Gamage, the director of the Social Impact Lab, which is a collaboration between the United Way and J5 Designs that works to improve the lives of Calgarians with their many programs, and Alice Lamb, a co-founder of Good Neighbor, a store that runs on a pay-what-you-can method in downtown Calgary. Both groups have found innovative ways to battle Calgary's rising cost of living and high levels of inflation. Statistics Canada reported that the inflation rate of food is up by 11.4%. So to put that into context, let's say a litre of milk that used to cost $2.50 is now costing Calgarians about $3.60. With the overall inflation rate being at the highest it's been since 1983 at 7.7%, many Calgarians are struggling to keep up. Today we will talk about the pay-what-you-can method that these two shops use and the benefits that they have for Calgarians. Without further ado, enjoy our conversation with James. And thank you so much, James, for joining us. You're welcome. So, James, can you just explain to us quickly what is the Social Lab Impact? Yeah, so the Social Impact Lab um, was started about four years ago now and is a collaboration between the United Way of Calgary and area, um, of which uh, I work, where I work, and J5 Design. So J5 Design are an innovation and design consultancy. Um, and they work with us in collaboration in the lab to create the Social Impact Lab. We bring, as United Way, our, our fairly unique position in the social sector in Calgary, and obviously J5 Design bring their design expertise. And what we aim to do in the lab is solve some of the big uh, social and community issues um, that Calgarians are experiencing uh, while creating sort of upstream, what we call upstream solutions. So early stage prevention type solutions to things like mental uh, children and youth mental health issues, uh, poverty, child care, uh, affordable child care, food insecurity and the like. So, Awesome. When you say upstream solutions, what does that sort of mean? So a lot of the work that uh, United Way currently does with the agencies that we fund is intervention type work. So those agencies are, are dealing with Uh, almost emergency issues on the front line on a day-to-day basis. Prevention issues, or they're commonly known as upstream issues nowadays, uh, 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 solutions are more about, you know, preventing people slipping into that uh, state where they need intervention. So, Okay. Definitely, that makes sense. Where did you get the idea to start the Social Impact Lab? Well, that was before my time. I've been at the lab about two and a half years, and it was started about four or five years ago. Um, but was the brainchild of um, our CEO, Karen Young, um, who you know uh, knew John Vidalos, who's the CEO and uh, uh, founder of J5 Design, and they worked together and uh, created the lab at that stage. Great. When did the Social Impact Lab first recognize a need for the pop-up markets? So... Um, Obviously, in the work that we do, we we look at big social issues or community issues that the uh, Calgarians are experiencing. And we were doing some work uh, pre-pandemic on poverty and looking at poverty in its broadest possible sense, which is all about access. So access to affordable childcare, access to well-paid employment, access to uh, cheap nutritionous, uh, nutritional food. 
Um, the pandemic then happened, and obviously one of the big emergencies at, as, at that time was um, food. In, there was a huge amount of food insecurity in Calgary. So at that time, we accelerated our work on the uh, on the pay what you want market. Now, because of COVID and because the, the work that we do is very sort of tends to be in person and creative design centered around the, the needs of the user. Uh, we weren't able to accelerate that work as quickly as we would have liked, but we got to the stage now where we've run a number of pop-ups and we're looking to operationalize the, the market. So it started pre-pandemic, but obviously was accelerated as we uh, as we realized the, the biggest use on food insecurity in the city. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a hard time to start something and then yeah. be hit with that. Was there What were some of the like unexpected challenges then with running it and then COVID topped on top of yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So, of course, so... Um, at the lab, what we take is a design-led approach to um, solving some of these uh, th- these big social issues, which means that um, we put the potential user, uh, the the person who is experiencing the issue, right at the centre of everything we do. So we design around that user. Um, that means we, you know, speak to them, speak to them in person. We create prototypes and we get people to experience. Um, the the solution in in the flesh so to speak and then uh, once we've prototyped we'll we'll go on to pilot and create pop-up stores now obviously during covid uh, it's an in-person experience you can't really replicate it online we thought about trying that but it just wasn't going to work uh in-person experience and obviously um, a lot of places were closed and it was really difficult to do that um we, there was a couple of windows during COVID when um, you know uh, uh, things slackened off a little bit. The mask mandates were, weren't, weren't quite there, so we actually were able to run prototypes of the grocery store in the social impact lab uh, offices. So we created uh, a prototype grocery store with, uh, and we invited people in to experience the. Uh, um, shopping there um, and including you know sort of cardboard point of sale terminals and pictures of food and we asked people to go in and experience that uh, uh, the, the the pay what you want experience and give us feedback about that but you know we then you know once we'd done the prototyping we were very keen to do you know run a pilot and there was sort of about nine to 12 month hiatus when we couldn't really go into any premises in the community and we were looking at community halls and the like and it just wasn't possible so so that's uh, some of the issues that covid caused to that and how often are the pop-up markets so um so far what we did was uh the the pop-up markets were a pilot so we were as i said we you know we wanted to do this so to speak in the flesh to to really learn the best experience that we could create so we ran three pop-up markets one was almost exactly a year ago, uh, just before Christmas in Tuxedo Park. Then we ran one on Stephen Avenue downtown um, in March, and then we ran another one in June, July in the Dover community, which is a food desert in the southeast. So what we did was run those to learn uh, to optimize the experience. And what we're ready to do now is actually roll those out. That's so great. Um, our next question was actually if it was going to become at a permanent location, but you said, are you hoping to have different spots kind of throughout the city or? Well, um, I think we'll, we'll go for uh, 
a location or two locations with the money that we've got. Um, so location is really, really important for this, uh, for the design of this concept. So you need, obviously, um, we're needing, we're wanting to feed people in a dignified manner to people who are experiencing financial difficulty in a dignified manner. Um, but we want to create as normal an experience as possible for those people. So it feels like they're going into a farmer's market and they're, they're shopping where they, you know, they would normally want to shop. Um, because not only for those people uh, experiencing insecurity, but also for the, to attract people who will pay extra. So the, the model works when you have, you know, people paying extra and people paying less, people sort of paying it forward. So choosing the, the right location is really important for that. So, you know, um, we want to get the balance. So we want to be able to have a location where, or maybe two locations where, you know, the, the balance is, is right between those who can pay extra and those who can't pay as much as their bill. So um, we're going to have to select very carefully there. The other important part of it is, um, is community. So um, I think uh, we will, what we will aim to do is choose, as I say, one or two locations and run them weekly for the, uh, for the rest of the, uh, for the year because we want it to be regular. We want it to be a community-based solution. We want um, to people to know that we're there on a weekly basis. So um, that's sort of the plan for next year. That's awesome. Um, and so you said it earlier, but just sort of kind of like explain it for the people listening who might not know. You said that the Dover area is like a food desert. So mm. what totally does that mean? So uh, that means there's very few food assistance services. There are very few grocery stores or, or anything in Dover. It, it's um, we, one of the things we did very early on in the project is is create a map of the city and plot where all the, the f uh, food assistance services and, and grocery stores were. And it yeah, there are a few points in the city, Dover being one of the communities just in the southeast there, where there's there's big gaps. And and that's why we chose uh, Dover. And, and I think we will probably, whether it's Dover or another community, we will probably choose a community that ha is experiencing or is a food desert when we uh, when we roll out. Perfect. Um, so your guiding principles that I saw online on your market is dignity, access, and choice. Mm -hmm. And so you spoke a little bit about that before, but how do you really implement these when running the market and how do you stand on these values? Yeah, so um, really important, absolutely central to everything we did. So just to backtrack a little bit, you know, the we did some research very, at the, uh, very much at the start of the project where um, we... Uh, we spoke to people, we, we saw a stat which was quite startling, which was that of um, every five people that are uh, eligible for food assistance services, only one person takes it or one family takes it out of five. And we spoke to some people who uh, didn't take food assistance services when they were eligible for it. And then a lot of the um, things that they said was, um, you know, it's a pretty undignified experience, the existing uh, you know, food assistance services like the food bank, you have to queue up, you have to reveal your income. You ha you know, it's not very accessible. Um, you know, a lot of the food that you get is pretty, uh, you know, basic. So um, what we wanted to create, so dignity was very much the center of, uh, of, of what we wanted to create. So hence, the, you know, the pay what you want market, it, as normal an experience as po uh, grocery store experience as possible. Um, the point of sale is um, we we devised a um, uh, basically a process at point of sale which 
meant that the the cashier basically did not know how much the person was paying. So it wasn't a sort of a you you weren't drawing attention to somebody who was paying less, and it, you know because obviously we don't want to stigmatize those people. So dignity was very much the, um, at the center of everything. And as far as access and choice is concerned, we it, it was a bit of a mixture of the food that we we sold at the market. It wasn't leftovers food. It was it was either food we bought in wholesale, which from a um, from Alberta suppliers, or we ran it a bit like a farmers market. So there were some vendors in there. They were all local producers, um, and they all produced quality food items. and And some of them were, um, you know. Bit niche like honey providers, <laughs> honey um, producers, um, but uh, but again, you know, local food, quality food, um, to 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 make the experience as dignified as possible. What are some of the unexpected challenges that you've run into just in the process of setting this up? I mean, COVID aside or included, yeah. sort of. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, one of the things was around pricing. Um, it, you know, not a big challenge. And the reason we ran these was to really understand how to position the prices. So um, we uh, toyed, we, we had lots of feedback over the first couple of markets around, oh, well, you need to tell us your wholesale price or have a suggested price or, um, uh, you know, we had lots of different opinions. We tried lots of different things. What we in the end found was we, rather than call it a suggested price, what we put on each good because it, I mean it is only a suggested price because you can pay whatever you want for whatever you take. So what we decided to do was um, list the wholesale price as not not listed as a wholesale price, but put ish afterwards. So <laughs> one dollar ish, and that seemed to get across the message to people that. They didn't. They could pay what they wanted. Yeah. So that was sort of an unexpected thing. You know, it was a sort of a design challenge that we had through the process, and and we um, that we, I think we come to a, a good solution. But I mean, again, you know, those kind of things we can still develop our learning as we uh, operationalize it next year. It's like a funny, simple yeah thing to come. I know up we with. we had far fewer questions about pricing. When we put ish after the after <laughs> even the in price. my brain as soon as you put ish, I was like, that that works perfectly. <laughs> like, <laughs> that tells yeah. me everything I need to yeah. know. Yeah, for sure. That was James Gamage from the Innovation and Social Impact Lab. Good Neighbor is a pay-what-you-can store that aims to assist low-income Calgarians who are struggling with the rising cost of living. They provide access to household items like clothing and home goods, things that may have been out of their budgets before. Now here's our chat with Alice. So, Alice, if you don't mind first just telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, my name is Alice Lamb. I'm born and raised in Calgary. And I'm the founder of Good Neighbor Community Market. In my day job, I work in commercial real estate. And in my passion job, I, find I am the founder of several nonprofits that make our city better. We read an article from CBC that you're from a refugee family. How do you think that influenced you to start Good Neighbor? Um, when my parents moved to Calgary, we had a lot of essential support from the immigrant serving sector and also from other fellow refugees. And so the idea of paying it forward and being entrenched in like volunteering in our neighborhood and communities was always super important to, you know, how I was raised. And so I think that that's always been kind of um, a value system that I've carried on while I've grown up. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so moving on to Good Neighbor, what exactly is Good Neighbor? How would you describe it? Yeah, Good Neighbor is Calgary's first pay-what-you-want thrift store. It's completely run by volunteers, and it's a social enterprise in that all the money that we raise goes back to um, food distribution in our community. And how did you get the idea to start Good Neighbor? Well, it was a follow-up project from our Calgary Community Fridge Project where we saw a lot of people try to drop off clothes at the fridge, and we just thought that it wasn't a super dignified shopping experience. And so what we ended up doing was having these like pop-up clothing events. And as you know, with Calgary weather, I mean, it's sunny today, but it was blizzarding yesterday. Um, It's also not super consistent. Like we can't just host events outdoors. And so we kind of got together as a group of volunteers and said, if we're ever afforded the opportunity to have an indoor location, we would kind of try and pilot a pay what you want thrift store. Um, if it was up to us and if there was no rent payments being paid, then the store would just be a free store. But unfortunately, because we do have expenses like utilities and taxes to pay, um, it is pay what you can. And the idea is that those who can afford it subsidize those who can't. What is, if you don't know right now, that's totally okay. But do you know sort of what is like your average intake from those that can pay each month? Yeah, so it's probably around... Um, honestly, I feel like it's about 1500 to $2,000 a month. Okay. Yeah. In high seasons, like summertime and stuff, it's higher, maybe three to $4,000. But um, yeah, it basically just helps us cover our costs. And on average, how many people are shopping at Good Neighbor each month? Uh, 150 to 200 a day. So that times 12 days a month, you can kind of figure that out. Yeah, wow, that's like a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah, there's always a lineup, right? What were some of the unexpected challenges that you ran into while you were starting up and now running Good Neighbor? I think um, understanding the demand that we would have in our city, you know, like uh, there are lots of nonprofit thrift stores out there. There's also like for-profit thrift stores and also lots of nonprofits that do like clothing and food distribution, but we were surprised at how um, our barrier-free model, like we don't ask for ID or phone numbers or proof of income or anything like that, um, really drew a larger population. And I think that um, we learned a lot about mental health, about uh, the opioid crisis, about homelessness and the challenges that those folks face, as well as immigrant families. So like about 50% of our uh, clients are seniors and about, 30% of those seniors are immigrants and then 25% are just young immigrant families and then the rest is made up of just like unhoused people and regular shoppers and so we definitely um, it opened our eyes to just kind of inequity in society and how systemically there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of boosting people's incomes and also providing more housing stock and also the need for better education on harm reduction and um, mental illness. Yeah, definitely. And how many volunteers are regularly involved with Good Neighbor? So we have about 60 volunteers in the store per week, and then we have another cohort of another 20 to 40 people who help us with everything from donation pickups to drop-offs, doing different events, that kind of thing. Um, Why do you think that it is important to participate in community service? 
I think that our cities are only as strong as our people. And if our people are struggling to survive, like we're going to have a really hard time in building like a resilient and strong, you know, economy, if you care about that, but also just civic society. And so a lot of our volunteers, like we do this work because we're helping to give people a hand up so that they can eventually be the ones helping others as well. Um, you know, if we all lived independently in silos, just without care for our local communities, like it just doesn't make for a very vibrant and interesting city. When you travel and when you go um, to different places that are interesting, it's always because there's a ton of diversity because people are able to survive and, you know, um, participate in recreational activities and things like that. So we're just trying to boost people up a little bit so that they can have a helping hand in becoming active, you know, participating members of society. Yeah, that's great. Do you wish that you had started Good Neighbor earlier or do you think that it just kind of happened when it needed to happen? No, I think it happened when it needed to happen. It's kind of like any, you know, like we, as we uh, volunteered at the fridge and learned about the needs of people like food wasn't the only thing that they couldn't afford, right? Clothing was also a major barrier. And so like since we've opened, like we've had seniors come in being like, I am on a super fixed income. It's only like a thousand dollars a month. My rent is like $400. So between medication and food, like there's not much left over for recreation or clothing. So a lot of them like hadn't gotten new clothes for years, you know, and that just like breaks my heart. Like that's not the standard of living that I would want for our elderly population in Canada, right? Um, and they shouldn't be penalized because they're new to Canada or whatever. Um, and so I think that as we're learning more about society, like an example is, through the folks who come into our store, like we realize that a lot of them don't have family doctors and don't have access to a lot of um, paramedical services like massage or acupuncture or chiro, that kind of thing. And so we're actually working on a new project called the Health Collective, um, which will hopefully be Calgary's first pay what you can paramedical health clinic. Um, and, you know, we'll have family physicians there, nurse practitioners, but also have once a month like pay what you can acupuncture or massage or chiropractor, that kind of thing. That sounds like a great idea. That's something that I would have never even really thought could be like a pay-as-you-can method, but that sounds great. Well, yeah, like think about when you go for a massage, right? It's like 80 bucks an hour or whatever, but a lot of these massage therapists, like they do want to give back. And a lot of local businesses, to be honest, want to give back, but they just don't know how. And also in a scale that would be like sustainable for them, because obviously they can't be pay-what-you-can massage like every day. But if it's one practitioner once a month and we have like five or six of them doing it, then it kind of provides an, a more equitable access opportunity for people who can't afford it. And they also get, the, you know, societal, uh, they get to also give back to society in a way that's manageable for them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds like such a great idea. We were also kind of wondering, you're talking about some of the different demographics that you've noticed coming into the store or just like uh, amounts of people, but have you noticed an influx in possibly like younger people or people that were before relying on thrift stores or things like that, like a value village, just because over COVID we noticed that the prices of goods there are going up so much. Yeah. Um, we definitely see a lot more young people on Saturdays, on Thursdays and Fridays. Honestly, the lineup is so long with our regulars, but need the items, but it's really hard for a regular shopper to <laughs> wait, you know, like an yeah. hour to get in and so um we did start doing like more late night shopping nights that were pay what you can and that 
you know, was really good over the summertime in terms of helping us raise some additional funds. Um, I do, well, like, I think there's a misconception with, like, large format um, thrift stores as well, like Goodwill and Valley Village, like, they are not technically not-for-profit. Like, they have a social good aspect in terms of, like, they hire, you know, people who normally wouldn't have jobs for Goodwill or Valley Village is owned by Walmart. Like, they're just, uh, yeah. you know, a capitalistic type of organization. So, I mean, their social good component is that they're like, we're, well, we're re- re- redirecting the stuff that would have gone to Labdolf. So that's our social good component. Um, but the items there are definitely increasing in cost, right? So, mm-hmm. And how can people donate to Good Neighbor? Yeah, so we are open Thursday, Friday, Saturday from 11 to 5. You can drop off donations there, or you can drop off donations to the Tigerstead and Friends shop located in Crescent Heights at 918 Center Street, sorry, um, Northeast. And uh, if you check our Instagram, oftentimes we'll do, like, pickups. So it's first come, first serve. If you fill out our form, we will come pick up the donations from your house. And we're always looking for volunteers. So if anybody's interested in volunteering at our shop, um, the shifts are 11 to 2 or 2 to 5, Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, and they are, you know, pretty fun. Like, everybody there is really nice, and you're, you know, it's pretty help for people and help you understand, like, a population different from your own socioeconomic background. Um, and we, the one thing that we ask is that if people are volunteering, that they commit to being able to volunteer, like, for at least three months or four months, so on a weekly basis. That was Alice from Good Neighbor. That's a wrap on this week's episode of the Calgary Journal Solutions Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. The Calgary Journal Solutions Podcast is produced by journalism students at Mount Royal University. This week's episode was produced by Matt DeMille.